Robert Como may be the most organized man in creation. When I came in, he handed me a sheet that's got everything scheduled on here. The children were down to the, to the exact second. I knew that I was getting up at 10.02. He even told me when I'll be through. But, but what got me about this, this schedule of his is that at exactly 10, 12, the Holy Spirit arrives. <laughs> and at 10, 15, he convicts the guy in the third row here. <laughs> First Sunday of June of 1996, you welcomed David and Janet Crosby to your church. And uh, I was in my sixth year of pastoring in the First Baptist Church of Kenner and was laid up uh, having had surgery. And my doctor had said, I want you to take three Sundays off. I didn't need to, but I wanted to. So for the first two Sundays, I watched your service live on television, watched you welcome the new pastor. And the third Sunday, I was here. I was there, St. Charles Avenue. And, but the first Sunday, though, when, when David was introduced, he came to the podium and he said, calling a new pastor is like adopting a 15-year-old kid. You don't know where he's been. You don't know how he's been treated. You want to love him, and you hope he will let you. Well, he is now in his 15th year as our pastor, pastor of this church, and uh, we, yes, and we know that we have been loved, and I know that God has brought a wonderful pastor to your church, and a leader to our city, and a friend to me personally. I'm very grateful to the Lord for David Crosby. Um, text this morning is one verse, it's in John chapter 3, and it's verse 13. We'll get to it in a minute. But you know, the other day, Oprah Winfrey kicked off the final year of her television program by making a surprise announcement to her audience, to her studio audience. Watch the screens. This is really my last chance to do something really big. <laughs> and if you want to do something big, you would want to take along your ultimate view. think about where would I most want to go? Maybe I should take all of you with me to the other side of the world. We're going to Australia! <laughs> <laughs> I have driven out here to Canal Boulevard today to make an announcement to you folks. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to heaven. <laughs> 
<laughs> and not just for seven days either, but for eternity. And not just those of us in this room, but all who are in Christ. It is all expenses paid because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We are going to heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> that is the blessed hope of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's on every page of the New Testament and in many pages of the Old Testament. It's what, it's what allows you to face your own death with equanimity and strength and even a little uh, light of expectation. Hey, this is about to get good. And it allows you to come back from the cemetery when you have given your loved one back to the Lord and you've got to face life without him or her. Some of you, so many of us have done that. But you know that in Jesus Christ you've not seen the last of them because we are going to heaven. We've got his word on it. We've got his word on it. In fact, you know, sometimes people will say, well, that's, you Christians, you know, you're just into wistful thinking. This is just a little delusion, you folks, because you wanted it so bad you started believing it. Uh-uh. We never thought of it. He revealed it. My friends, Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority on heaven. John chapter 3 and verse 13. Lord is speaking to Nicodemus. And, and most of us remember everything at all, everything about that story of him speaking to Nicodemus except this line. You remember Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a, a, a spiritual leader of God's people. He comes to the Lord and he's bragging on the Lord Jesus says, no man could do the things you've done except God be with him. And, and Jesus said, you know, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, interchangeable. And Nicodemus didn't understand that. And so Jesus is trying to explain it and having a hard time getting across. And the Lord Jesus says in verse 12, well, if I speak to you of, of earthly things and you don't believe, how in the world will you believe when I speak to you of heavenly things? And then the Lord Jesus says, no one has been to heaven except the one who came from heaven, even the Son of Man, referring to himself. Nobody has been to heaven except the one who came from there, the Lord Jesus himself. You know what that means? It means when he speaks of heaven, you ought to listen, because he knows what he's talking about. He's a native. Imagine this little scenario. You're on the other side of the world. Let's say you're in the military. And you walk into the barracks one day, and there's several people in your company sitting around, and they're talking about New Orleans. And so you listen, and one guy over here is a know-it-all. He knows all about the cuisine and the places to go and places to see and the music and architecture and everything else. And so you say to him, you from New Orleans? And he said, no, but I was there for four days for a convention once. And uh, somebody says, where are you from? And you say, New Orleans. You're, you're from New Orleans? Yeah, I was born there. I wasn't, but you were for the story. And suddenly they all shut up. 
and they turn in your direction because you are the authority on the subject. You're the native. Now, the Lord Jesus has a right to be heard when he speaks about heaven because he's the native. And all through the Gospels, he gives us these wonderful insights about heaven. For example, John chapter 14, Jesus says, Think of heaven as the Father's house. It's like the Father's house. In my Father's house are many mansions, Jesus said. Many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. He said, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's the Father's house. He said in Matthew 25, it's a kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now think of that. You know, I've never even lived in a house prepared just for me. But to have a kingdom Prepared for me from the foundation of the world. And to the thief on the cross in Luke 23, the Lord Jesus said, It's paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You ever been to paradise? Where? Hawaii? Niagara Falls? Where? where, where? Everybody got their own idea. The Bayou country. Bayou Lafouche. Everybody got their own idea. The Lord Jesus had his own idea. He didn't tell us what it was. And he said, in so many parables that he told you, remember he would say, a great king gave a feast, or, or a man gave a, gave a wedding feast for his son. And he did this so many times, we realized that he's saying to us, heaven is like a great feast. Now, now, just take these four instances of what the Lord Jesus said about heaven. You see what he's doing, of course. He's using our pitiful language to try to convey that which is indescribable. You might as well be trying to explain nuclear physics to an anthill as to try to describe heaven to people like you and me. The New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, has so much to say about heaven. Let's go on and just look at, it, look at a few of these. For example, the Apostle Paul tells us that, that uh, heaven is, is home, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, to be absent from the body is to be present and at home with the Lord. At home. You ever, you, you, is there a place around where you say, that's home? When you get there, you don't have to go anywhere else. You've been looking for this. You started there, maybe you, you came back there, that's home. When you play baseball... You're out there on the bases. You're trying to get home. Well, when we get to heaven, we're finally going to be home. Especially, remember the Lord Jesus saying, it's a, place, it's a kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You know what that means? It means in eternity, if you're anywhere else, you're going to be out of place. You ever been out of place? I was pastoring in North Carolina, and somebody called me one day and said, Pastor, I was supposed to invite you to this banquet tonight. We're doing a chamber of commerce, doing a big banquet for one of your church members. We had a member who was a, an official of Washington, D.C. said, we're honoring him. It's a big deal. And can you come? And I said, well, if I can, I will. I didn't have time to go home and change, and they didn't tell me that it was black tie and tails. I walked in with my camel hair sport coat and my gray slacks, 
And as they were having their <clears throat> cocktail hour, and the women were in these expensive gowns, and the men were so beautiful, looked like they'd stepped out of GQ. And I walked around looking for somebody I knew. And finally, I found the honored guest and gave him my congratulations and went home. I was so out of place. George Goble used to say, did you ever feel like all the world is a tuxedo and you're a pair of brown shoes? Out of place. But when you get to heaven, if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, you will be, for many of us, the first time in our lives in your place. You'll be at home. First Thessalonians 4.17, Paul says that we're going to be with the Lord. So shall we always be with the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 15, he says it's a glorified body that we get there in that glorified land. And Revelation 21 describes it as a, as a holy city coming down out of heaven prepared as a bride for her husband. And all of these things are just beggaring human language trying to tell us that's what heaven is like. But you know what's fascinating to me is not all in the New Testament, there are also glimpses of this in the Old Testament. Now, some people argue with that, but I, I've run into people who say, well, you know, the Jews don't believe in heaven because there's nothing in the Old Testament about it. Huh, beg to differ. And the Lord Jesus would differ with them too because you might remember that in Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus is talking to the Sadducees who did not believe in an afterlife. Now, Sadducees believe the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they said there's nothing in there about the afterlife or heaven. And Jesus said, wrong. And he quoted to them right out of their Bible. He said, have you ever read in the Bible where God says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, he's not the God of dead people. He's the God of living. And they said, ah. Oh. And you and I read that and said, hey, that was good. And so simple. Thank you, Lord. Well, the truth is, it's like that all through the Scripture. And here's one in, uh, in Daniel chapter 12, couple of, first couple of verses of, uh, of uh, Daniel 12. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to shame and eternal contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. One of my favorites, though, is from the book of Job. And there are a couple of things in the book of Job. Now, you're, you're familiar with the book of Job probably and what happened to him. How he starts off in chapter 1. He's the greatest man of his time. And then he loses everything. He goes through the period of suffering. And he and his friends spend the bulk of the book trying to sort out what has happened and what it means about his relationship with the Lord. And at the end, God restores his fortunes. Well, in chapter 1, we read about all these herds of oxen and, and camels and donkeys and everything Job has, houses and lands. He has seven sons and three daughters. Well, then the testing starts, and the robbers come down and steal all of his animals, and fire burns the houses, and, and a storm kills the children. At the end of the book, in chapter 42, God restores the fortunes of Job, and he doubles everything. Double the numbers of oxen and cattle and, and camels and, and uh, donkeys and everything. Seven more sons, three more daughters. And you and I say, wait a minute. It's supposed to double everything. It should be 14 sons and six daughters. Uh-uh. Now, the Bible never raises the question, so it never answers the question. So why not? 
Well, we know the answer because Job still had the original children. They were just with the Lord. He was just holding them until Job got there. It's a little insight in the Old Testament about eternal life. But my favorite is the question that's asked in Job 14, 14, and answered five chapters later in Job 14, 14. In the midst of his suffering, Job, it's almost like a gasp. He says, if a man die, will he live again? A couple of Easter's ago, I heard a preacher preach his Easter sermon based on Job 14, 14, that question. And everything he said was good, and it was right, and it was biblical. But have you ever stood, have you ever been in a, in, a, in a church service where you wanted to stand up and flag the preacher down and say, hey, don't forget so-and-so? Now, don't do it this morning. You do it next week. <laughs> but, but I wanted to say that preacher, hey, you know, Job answered his own question five chapters later in chapter 19 of Job where he says, but I know my Redeemer liveth. And at last he will stand on the earth. And then he says, and after my skin is destroyed, see it up there? After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold and not another. I wonder if you would look at that and just read it with me. Let's all read it out loud, please, everybody. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Let me point out a contradiction to you, what some people would call a contradiction. He says, after my skin is destroyed, that means after I die. Then he says, I know that in my flesh I'll see God. Is that a contradiction? Well, only if you don't believe in the resurrection. But he's basically saying, in my resurrected body, I will see God. And there it is, the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus and the teaching that he gave us. Now, it's there from one end to the other. Psalm 23. Psalm 23, everybody's favorite psalm. First three verses talking about this life. Next three verses, basically talking about death. But it ends in verse 6 by saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Say that with me, please, everybody. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, In my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. One of my favorites, though, is Psalm 1715. I, I have never heard a preacher use this before, and I probably have read this, Rhonda, about a hundred times before the Holy Spirit called it to my attention. Now, Psalm 17 is kind of a normal psalm until you get to the last verse. And the previous verses, right before 15, he's really looking at the people of the world, and he said the people whose portion is this world. And uh, you and I would say that's people who are without the Lord and what they live for and he says basically to live for themselves they live for their children and they pass their inheritance on and that's it they they're very short-sighted but he says as for me I shall behold thy face in righteousness I will be satisfied with thy likeness when I awake now think about that 
It almost has nothing to do with what's gone before except it's pure contrast. He's saying, that's how they live. But as for me, Lord, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied with thy likeness when I awake. Four things there. The first one's just implied, and that is, number one, I'm going to die. I will die. Hebrews 9 says, it's appointed under man wants to die. After that, the judgment. If you're planning on reincarnation, you can play that little game if you want to, but there's no, there's no reason for it, and it is against everything taught in God's word. You better get ready, friend. The old beer commercial had it right. You go around once in life, you better grab for all the gusto you can get. William Sororian, famous author, once said, I always knew that people live and they get old and they die, but somehow I just thought an exception would be made in my case. I think we all do. He died in 1983. No exception. We all die. Secondly, I'm going to die. Secondly, I will awaken. Now that may be, when it happens, that may be the biggest miracle of all. Suddenly your eyes open and you think, whoa, it's not all over after all. And then you look around to see what you can see. I will awaken. And thirdly, he says, I'll see the Lord. I will see the Lord. I will see him in his righteousness. As Job says, I'll see the Lord. And lastly, he says, and I'll be satisfied. Whatever it's like, whatever that is, I'll not be disappointed. There'll be no return lanes in heaven. No place for complaints. Everybody there is satisfied. We will see the Lord. Soon and very soon, going to see the Lord. Ruth Graham, wife of Billy Graham, she's now in heaven. In one of her books, she tells a story about something that happened in the family of her Presbyterian preacher there in Montreat, North Carolina. And she said her preacher by this time was dead, but she, she said, I called his widow living in Florida to make sure I had the story right. And the story is this. The pastor was a little boy. He had a 16-year-old brother named Robbie. Their dad was Bob. Bob was... Bob was a good dad, and he, was, he had a mother in the nursing home who was very seriously ill, and every day he went by to see her in the nursing home. And one day, Robbie, the 16-year-old, came down with some strange malady, and he just wiped him out. They put him in ICU, and the doctors said, we don't know what it is, and uh, we need to prepare you for the worst. Well, because grandmother just doted on Robbie, Bob never told his mother that Robbie is at the point of death. Robbie died, and Bob was brokenhearted, but he would still go every day and minister to his mother without telling her. The day they buried Robbie, Bob left the cemetery, drove to the funeral, uh, to, the, to the nursing home. As he walking down the hall, the doctor's coming out of her room, his mother's room. He said, your mother has slipped into a coma, but go in and sit with her and hold her hand and talk with her. He went in, sat with her, and talked with her, and she was unresponsive. After two or three hours, she died. But right before she died, she'd been totally unresponsive, and then she opened her eyes. She seemed to be seeing afar off, and she said, Why, there's Jesus, and there's Mama, and there's Papa. And she named a few others, and then she said, 
And there's Robbie. I didn't know Robbie had died. Poor Bob. She closed her eyes and went to heaven. It is so real. Three minutes after you get there, you're going to be doing one of these little, I could have had a V8 things. I didn't know it was this real. I didn't know it was this wonderful. Why didn't somebody tell me? And you'll wish you could have come back and done it right and done it better and been more generous and prayed more faithfully and served God more, more devotedly. But it's not going to happen. You've got to do it by faith. Faith or nothing. This is how he wants it done. So may I ask you something? Are you ready for heaven? Are you going to heaven? You personally, are you going to heaven? You know, there's some of us who would be so out of place in heaven. We don't love the Lord. He's the centerpiece of heaven. We don't want to serve the Lord, and that's what heaven's all about, of course, in Revelation. We don't love the people of God and never get with them to do anything with them. Why, why do you think God would force us to go to heaven? You'd be miserable in heaven. You'd be out of place. So he's going to be generous to you and not make you go. But if you want to go, you need to be changed so that you will fit. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you can't see heaven. Unless you're born again. Can I ask you something? Have you been born again? Have you repented of your sins and put faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and been born into God's family? The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you are in Christ, you're going to heaven. But if you're not, you can do something about it now. In a moment, after my prayer, we're going to sing the invitation hymn. And I hope many of you will not sing, but just step out and come. We'll have ministers all over the front of the church here to receive you and to pray with you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't care what church you're a member of, but I'm talking about if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you know that you are not going to heaven or you're not sure, come to one of these ministers and just say, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Just say that. You can say that. Those are not big words. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Can you do that? Some of us may just want to come here to the front and pray about something that's on our hearts. If, God, if, if you're already a Christian and you know you're going to heaven, but God has led you to this place and now you know that he's leading you to unite with this church, come and join First Baptist Church. The team needs you, and God needs you to be faithful. I want to lead us in prayer. Would you stand with us, please? Would you bow your heads with us? Close your eyes and let me lead our prayer. And then we are inviting you to come as many of the people around you will be singing about surrender. Father, thank you for doing everything necessary to get us to heaven except forcing it on us. You bring it right up to our door. You even say, I stand at your door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. Oh, Lord, give us a grace to respond to you now. For those in this place who need to be born again, trust to thee, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.